Welcome to Humanize from Discovery Institute's Center on Human Exceptionalism, where human rights meet human responsibilities. We speak with writers, thinkers, and newsmakers on the controversial issues of human life and human thriving that impact our daily lives. We are exceptional as creatures in the cosmos, as equal members of the human family, and as ethical beings. Humanize explores some of the fundamental questions. How do we thrive? How do we live well and care for what we've inherited? How do we act responsibly with one another and in the wider world? And how do we conserve the good things of this life for the future? We matter. Our actions matter. Let's get into it. I'm Wesley J. Smith, and this is Humanize. people in the West believe fervently in animal rights principles and ideology, while many more are unaware of the movement's actual beliefs and goals. Is animal rights a subversive threat to human exceptionalism and are thriving as I believe, or is it the next necessary step in society's moral growth as its adherents claim? Let's find out. My guest is author and law professor Gary Francione. Francione is one of the world's most notable animal rights advocates and apologists a prolific writer and international lecturer. At Rutgers Law School, Francione teaches a course on human rights and animal rights, as well as courses in criminal law, criminal procedure, torts, and evidence. His latest book, co-authored with Anna E. Charlton, is Animal Rights, The Abolitionist Approach. He is well known throughout the animal rights movement for his criticism of animal welfare, opposition to violence in support of the cause, and for his uncompromising approach to furthering his agenda. I'm most pleased he agreed to join us on the podcast, during which we will have a discussion and not an argument. Gary, welcome to Humanize. Thank you, Wesley. It's always good to talk to you. I just wanted to correct you. My latest book is Why Veganism Matters, The Moral Moral Value of Animals, which Columbia University published, uh, I guess, last month or the month before. I'm not sure, but that is my latest book. Ah, well, congratulations. Uh, That isn't on your bio at Rutgers. (laughs) Is that not on my bio? Well, I'll have have to amend that. I'm also a visiting professor of philosophy at two places in England. But uh, in any event, yes, it's good to talk with you. It always is. You and I don't agree, but we always speak respectfully and we always have interesting discussions. I I enjoy them, actually. Uh, Me too. Thank you. Uh, Before we get into that discussion... How did you go from what appears to have been a very successful early law career into an activist for a radical change in the ethics of society? In other words, what attracted you to the animal rights cause? Well, you know, I I grew up in the 1960s and 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 uh, I think I was very attracted to the idea of nonviolence when I was younger, and I never saw that it applied to animals. And then as I got older, uh, it became clear to me that the peace movement, which I believe strongly in, I'm, I'm not a, uh, a fan of, of war and of, of uh, conflict, uh, that the peace movement had to be more encompassing. And, and, and that nonviolence, it, it, it sort of struck me that if we're talking about nonviolence, but we're putting the products of nonviolence into our mouths or wearing the products of, of violence, 
Um, it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And so I thought, well, you know, if I'm going to talk about nonviolence, I'm going to try to live a nonviolent life. And it seemed to me that 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 started with not abstract principles, although they were ver they're very important about what you oppose, but rather uh, it starts with your own life. And it seemed to me that the, 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 the foundation of nonviolence was, did I participate in killing every single day? And the answer is when I was an omnivore, I did. And I, I wanted to stop that. So I, I then embraced a different a way of looking at this. Was there somebody whose work influenced you in that regard? Or did you just kind of uh, work this through in terms of your own thinking and contemplation? Well, it's interesting. Um, I've been a vegan for almost 40 years, but I was a vegetarian for a few years before that. I, I went I went to a slaughterhouse in 1977, I think, 77, 78. And I'd never seen a slaughterhouse before. <laughs> it was it was a really um, horrifying experience, and I I I just thought, well, I can't participate in in this anymore. And so I stopped eating meat. I continued to eat fish for. Uh, I stopped eating meat and 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 chicken and whatnot. I continued to eat fish. I never really knew very much about fish. I didn't know whether they were sentient or not. And then I read I read several scientific papers that maintained that fish could feel pain. So I stopped eating fish. And then um, I became a, a vegan in 1982 um, when I quite coincidentally met Ingrid Newkirk while I was clerking for Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. I met Newkirk, who uh, started PETA, and she was um, she was working for the Washington Humane Society. And a dog got injured right by the United States Supreme Court, and I I, I went out and I picked the dog up and brought the the dog back in the court. Was reprimanded by. Justice Rehnquist for dripping blood all, for dripping blood all over the the carpet, and um, and I called the Washington Humane Society, and I, um, I I asked them to send somebody over, and they sent uh, one of their humane enforcement officers over, who was Ingrid Newkirk. She had just started PETA with Alex Pacheco, and um, we got into a discussion. I knew I knew virtually nothing about animal rights at that point. I, I had been I was a vegetarian, but I'd never really thought about this. Theoretically, um, and um, and uh, I got to know Ingrid and Alex, and we um, we started having discussions, and they started educating me about things. and And uh, as you know, I spent some time uh, after I finished my clerkship with Justice O'Connor doing doing uh, pro bono legal work for PETA and other animal organizations. And then eventually, I split with them because I disagreed with the the way that they were going, and I thought we needed to look at this in a more um, I mean, I thought I think it's an important idea. I think nonviolence is a really important idea, um, and I think it's it, to me it's the highest moral principle. And um, and so, you know, I I, uh, I I've evolved as it were in my position. But there wasn't any, you know, there wasn't any um, a particular thing. I mean, there was a there was a book that Ingrid Newkirk gave me that um, when I first met her about dairy. I did I I you know. Look, I'll be honest with you. I, I I thought cows automatically gave milk. I didn't realize they had to be like other mammals that they had to be pregnant in order to give milk. I didn't know that. I mean, I, just, I mean, the only way I related to cows was when I ate them. Or you're a city boy, huh? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like I ate cows. I mean, who knows? Who knows from cows? And I didn't know. And um, and so I, you know, I, I I remember she gave me this book that explained dairy to me, and that's when I became a vegan. And um, but no, it wasn't. It was, a, you know, Wesley. We're going to talk about animal rights, and and I'm happy to do that with you. But the bottom line is, most of my 
my behavior is guided. And it's got, I mean, animal, animal rights is important as a theoretical matter, as a, as a matter of moral principle. But, but the, the principle that guides my, my, my behavior and my thinking on this most predominantly is a principle that I think that most people agree with. And that is the principle that we shouldn't impose unnecessary suffering on animals. And my view is, is what does necessity mean? And if it has any meaning at all, it means we can't impose suffering for pleasure, amusement, or convenience. Now, that, that's the only explanation we have for about 99% of the animal exploitation, of the animal suffering that we impose. We like the taste of animals. It's convenient to eat animal products. It's a tradition. We've been doing it for a long time. And my view is, is if you don't need to kill, you should never kill. If you don't need to impose suffering, you should never impose suffering. And so... Now, I, I will take it further when we're talking about other issues, um, for example, the use of animals in biomedical experiments or something like that. Then, then I think you need to get a little more subtle and you need to talk a little bit more about rights. But I think for the most part, the language of rights is not even necessary to talk about, say, why we should be vegans. I, I don't think you need to talk about animal rights at all. And uh, let, let, me, let me just ask a question here just sure. for, for the audience. Um, first off, PETA is the people for the ethical treatment of I'm animals. Sorry, yes, just, yeah, for, uh, and secondly, um, what is the difference? Because some people may not understand it between being a vegetarian and being a vegan. Yeah. Okay. Uh, vegetarians generally are. I mean, these things are. are uh, people argue about the the definitions, but uh, a, a vegetarian is generally somebody who doesn't eat uh, flesh. Now there are different sorts of vegetarians. There's, you know, there are vegetarians who don't eat uh, uh, beef, but they, you know, they will eat fish and, you know, whatnot. Um, and then there are vegetarians um, who will eat uh, 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 milk and eggs. You know, lacto ovo vegetarians. So they're vegetarians. They they do eat some animal products, but they don't eat, um, you know, flesh. Uh, then you can have different. I mean, there there are all these different perm permutations. I'm a vegan in the sense that I do not eat meat. I do not eat poultry. I do not eat fish. I do not, um, uh, no, no dairy, no eggs. I don't wear wool. I don't wear leather. I don't use animal products in, you know, I don't buy uh, shampoos or other things that have animal ingredients in them. Um, and, and I don't participate. I don't go to circuses, zoos, and rodeos. I basically uh, try to uh, not participate in, uh, deliberately in any animal, any forms of animal exploitation. So veganism is a, is a broader term. Um, there's, you know, but you're, you're quite correct, I think, to, to look at the definition because, you know, there's a lot of confusion about what these things are, what these things mean. And, um, you know, and, 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 you know, but, but by and large, you can, you can sort of think of vegetarianism is, first of all, a, a dietary matter. What sort of dietary matter is depends on what sort of vegetarian you are, but it's a it's a it's a dietary matter. Whereas veganism is more diet plus, so it's you don't what you don't eat them or products made from them, but you also don't wear them. You don't wear, you don't use products which have ingredient animal derived ingredients, things of that nature. You don't go to circuses, you don't go to zoos, you don't go to rodeos. That's more sort of what a vegan is. A vegetarian is is a dietary thing. Do they eat flesh? Uh, you know, you I've I've met people who identify as vegetarians who just don't eat beef, 
but they'll eat chicken, they'll eat pork, they'll eat, you know, they say, I'm a vegetarian. What does that mean? And so, you know, there's a lot of confusion about what these things mean. But I, I think that the general, the general rule is the distinctions between dietary and non-dietary. And, and I see this to me proves human exceptionalism because what other uh, species would make such a change in their lifestyle based on a moral principle? Well, human exceptionalism is a funny term because, you know, you and I have discussed this before, and I was thinking about this because I've, I've enjoyed all of our discussions, and they've provoked me into thinking, um, which is what you want a discussion to do. And I've always been confused about why it is that choosing to not engage in violence in any way threatens um what you want to refer to as human exceptionalism. I mean, also human exceptionalism, Wesley, it gets a little problematic because you can say, well, you know, we're in a, we're exceptional, but what about the fact that some of us are more exceptional than others of us? Some of us are really very talented. Some of us are not very talented at all. Some of us have great intellectual ability. Some of us don't have intellectual ability. So are, are the people who have the greater intellectual abilities are they exceptional, exceptional human beings? And, and do they have higher moral status? This is, this is the problem I have with this sort of approach because it starts, it lends itself to a lot of hierarchies that can make for moral mischief. And Well, there's no, there's no, in human exceptionalism, at least as I define it, there's certainly no moral hierarchy among human beings. People are people. And we have... Uh, the same moral value simply because we're human. And also because we're human, we have obligations and responsibilities. That's why I don't use like sanctity of life and I don't use terms like that. I use human exceptionalism because it's a two-edged two sword here. Rights, value, plus responsibilities and duties. Um, but where you and I separate is uh, that I do not give equal consideration to animals vis-a-vis -vis humans and do believe, and you don't, that there is a hierarchy of moral worth with regard to the animal world versus the human world. Well, but, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but you have, part of this is religious, is it not, though? I mean, do you not? Is, is, human exceptionalism for some people is religious. I don't support it because of religion. And, and I was going to ask you this, and then I said, no, I won't. But sometimes I've noticed that a lot of uh, animal rights activists are atheist or agnostic. Is is animal rights an atheist or agnostic enterprise? I would say no, because there are certainly a lot of people who are not atheist or agnostic who believe in animal rights. Conversely, there are a lot of people who believe in human exceptionalism who may not be religious. Yeah, I mean, I've actually, I've, I've actually written about this because I, I find it really very annoying that um, – that so many animal people, whatever you want to call them, um, are into Dawkins and 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 um, you know into the new atheists, into uh, um, you know the, the whole new atheist crowd, um, and I I find that stuff intellectually vacuous in a lot of ways, to be to be frank. And I think that um, you know we all have metaphysical views, including the people who think that they're atheists. If you believe exactly, in if you believe in causation, you believe in a metaphysical. You believe in metaphysical views. If you believe in science, I mean, science is full of of all sorts of of views, which things which must be believed that can't be proved, and so like like causation, you know, you can't. I mean, you, you know, and and so so I, I think that you know metaphysical views are all over the place. We all we all embrace them, um, and um, and so no, I, I mean, I I, I get very annoyed. Um, 
I have a, a Facebook page in which I discuss, you know, the abolitionist approach uh, to animal rights. And I frequently have people come on and, 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 you know, trash uh, religion. And I always um, stop them. And I say, you know, do you get some sort of, I mean, you know, what is this, a juvenile sort of pleasure that you get um, of making fun of, I mean, you know, I, I'm not a particularly religious, I'm not a traditionally religious person. Um, but it seems to me that, you know, uh, there are a lot of really great ideas. I mean, I happen to think that the, that, that some of the ideas, for example, that come out of Christianity about Christian love, I think are profound. Um, and even if you're not a Christian, you, you, you know, you have to, you have to be something in awe of those ideas. And, and, um, and so, I mean, the, the whole idea of selfless love, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a really interesting idea. The, you know, the, the idea of, you know, gr no greater love hath anyone that he gives his life for his neighbor. I mean, you know, profound idea. Would that we only live that way just a little bit, uh, we wouldn't be in the mess that we're in right now. So, um, no, I don't, I'm not at all, um, I'm not a, I'm not a, a traditional theist, um, uh, but uh, at all, uh, but I, I'm not an atheist either. Um, and, and so, but, but I, I also, I want to get back to this idea of human exceptionalism because I think it's, it's important. If we make a decision, if we decide, look, if I'm on a desert Island, yeah, maybe if, if there's other, some, some other sort of compulsion that, um, is, exists, um, then we can talk about that. We can put that aside. But in the vast majority of cases, that compulsion isn't there. In the vast majority of cases, we're using animals because we want to. And what I'm suggesting is that um, that's not right, that there's something, and that we, that, that interestingly, I'm not sure we think it's right, because if you look at the, the break, between the 18th century and the 19th century, what happens in the 19th century, at least in the West, is this idea that animals matter morally. They can suffer, they matter morally. Before that idea didn't exist, before, you know, people in the early 19th, at the end of the 18th century, the beginning of the early of the 19th century, people like Jeremy Bentham started saying, well, you know, it doesn't really matter whether animals can communicate or whether they're rational or whether this, that what matters is they can suffer and they matter morally. And that idea represented a paradigm shift in the sense that before that, before the, the 19th century, animals were excluded, largely excluded completely from the moral and legal community. They just didn't matter. I mean, you, 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 we, we didn't have a, a, a cultural sense of our obligations owed to animals. We just didn't have a, 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 any sense of that. It, it changes very quickly in the 19th century when Bentham introduces this idea, by the way, he wasn't the only person, but he was primary person who introduces this idea that, well, you know, if animals can suffer, they matter morally. Within a matter of like a hundred years, you get all of these anti-cruelty laws, you get, you know, you go from zero to, you know, to, 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 to 60 quite, quite quickly in terms of, of, of our, our, our changing our thinking about the moral status of animals and believing they matter morally and that we shouldn't impose unnecessary suffering them. Now, if I walk outside right now and ask the next hundred people who walk by, do you agree with the proposition that it's wrong to inflict unnecessary suffering on animals? I would guess 99, if not 100 of them, would say, of course, what a stupid question. Why are you asking me that? I mean, everybody agrees with that. But then the question becomes, well, what does necessity mean in that context? What does that mean? Is it a moral principle or is it, you know, is it something? Oh, no, it's a moral principle. But what does it mean? It means we shouldn't impose suffering on animals 
when we don't have to. Now, you know, I grew up same when we were roughly the same age and, and I may be a little older than you, but you know, we're roughly the same age. And you look younger than me. <laughs> <laughs> it's because I'm a vegan, Wesley. It's because I'm a vegan. <laughs> um, and, um, and, and, um, you know, we grew up being told that we needed to eat meat and animal products to be optimally healthy. And we now know that's wrong. I mean, not, you know, the, the government agencies, professional agencies, nobody maintains you need to eat meat to be or animal products to be optimally healthy. Indeed, an increasing number of mainstream healthcare people are telling us that the more animal products we eat, the, the more detrimental, you know, the, the, has detrimental effects on our health. So, we're really eating animals. And, and think about this. We eat in this, on the, this planet of ours, Wesley, every year we're, we're eating, we're killing and eating approximately between 75 and 80 billion land animals. And nobody knows how many sea animals, but we figure, you know, the, the lowest estimate I've seen is a trillion. So every year we are eating, we are killing and eating for the number of animals for food alone, not, not, not any other purpose, but we're killing and eating the number of animals for food alone that exceeds the number of human beings who have been on who've been on the earth since we crawled out of the swamp and and you know and evolved to what we are now if if, if you want to use the word well, evolved. yeah let, let me um first i the idea that it's not necessary is uh, goes i think too far because we get a tremendous amount of good from animal uh, since you 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 tend to focus on the food issue, but we get a lot of tremendous good uh, from animal uh, protein. Uh, it is also I know you don't like the term natural, but it is part of our normal diet. We we are biologically omnivores. The fact that we can force ourselves to be vegans, and usually vegans would need to take supplements and things of that sort, because there you and for younger children it can be dangerous. Um, I don't think that you you're definition of what is necessary is is something that most people would accept. But let, let's move the discussion along because we'll get back into this some more. Um, there, there is one area where we agree completely, and that is there's a distinction between animal welfare and animal rights. Um, a lot of people confuse those terms, and a lot of people think that animal rights is basically about being nicer to animals. It's actually, as I think you've made very clear so far, it's more than that. It's an ideolo ideology, and it's also a, uh, a moral concept, and a, in fact, beyond that, it's a lifestyle. Well, yeah, I mean, I haven't, I haven't really talked about animal rights because I, I think, as I said, I, I think that in many ways, we don't even need to talk about animal rights when we're talking about most animal use. I think most animal use can be excluded. I mean, the problem with animal welfare is the principle that it's all right for you to, us to use animals as long as we treat them humanely and don't inflict unnecessary suffering on them. What I'm saying is if we applied that coherently, we would be excluding a lot of our animal use because necessity has to have some sort of meaning and it's got to involve some sort of compulsion. And, you know, and when you're deciding what you're going to eat tonight for dinner, there's like, you know, it's not, a, not any conflict between you and the cow. It's a question of what you want to eat. You can eat a perfectly healthy meal um, and not have any problems with in it. And, and, and you, you know, th this idea that you have to eat expensive vegan foods and whatever. It's nonsense. I mean, you can eat, you can be a vegan much more cheaply than you can be uh, somebody who eats animal products. And so, you know, the, the, when you talk about the animal rights position, that that let me be clear on something. 
Um, if there's anything that is clear about animal rights, it is not clear because, you know, you got different views and it depends on, on whose, whose theory you're looking at. My theory is, is regarded sort of, I guess, as the, as the most extreme. So, you know, we can, we can use my theory. I basically think that we shouldn't use any sentient beings exclusively as means to ends of others. That, and that all, and for me, what animal rights means is that every sentient being, i.e. every being who is subjectively aware, able to feel pain, experience pleasure, etc., that all of them should have the right, have, should have the, we should recognize the moral right that they not be used exclusively as means to others, uh, means to the ends of others. Well, the way you put it is that if some, if an animal is anything, an organism will say, is sentient, which by the way, isn't the same thing as rational. No, uh, it it ba- it basically means you can you're aware of your surroundings. So a fly, if a fly lands on my arm and I go to swat it, um, that fly senses my hand coming and flies off. An oyster uh, creates a pearl because a grain of sand is irritating it. So that's sentient. So so let's let the listeners understand how far this this this. Uh, idea that if you're sentient, you have a right not to be property, how far that extends. Well, um, when I say sentient, I mean conscious. I don't mean rational, but I mean, so you, I, I agree with you. Sentient doesn't mean conscious, but it does mean it, uh, rational. It does mean conscious. And the overwhelming number of animals that we use are clearly conscious. Whether or not clams are mus- and mussels are, I really don't know. I don't eat them, but I don't know whether they're conscious. I don't know whether they're sentient. I mean, I'm using sentience and consciousness as sort of synonymous terms. So my view is, is that, you know, the, the animals that clearly qualify, cows, pigs, chickens, turkeys, you know, et cetera, fish, um, uh, whatever. I mean, there's no dispute anymore. I mean, the Cambridge de- Declaration on Consciousness came out a few years ago from Cambridge University. And basically what they concluded was that, you know, overwhelming number of animals um, that we exploit are conscious. They have, you know, they, they are conscious beings. They are subjectively aware, not just respond. I mean, plants are, plants are aware of the environment. So, I mean, you know, they, they react. The question is, do they respond? Um, you know, flies will react to the environment. I don't know whether flies are sentient. I don't kill them. I endeavor not to kill them. Um, you know, I mean, I just, just before we, we started the, the podcast, um, uh, there was a large spider walking around my house. This was this spider was quite large. It seemed to have hair on it. It was it was a very it was a very substantial spider. And I'm not a big fan of spiders, so I I had to sort of gird my loins and sort of get the cup and get the <laughs> get the spider in the cup. We're using a little card and putting the spider outside. Um, now, do I think the spider is sentient? I don't know, uh, but I don't. I mean, why kill? I mean, you know. I mean, you, you know. It. it I, I just. I just don't see the necessity for this. And so, and this, this is, this is really the guiding principle. I only talk about animal rights when I'm talking about something where, where there is a compulsion. If somebody says to me, well, is it all right for us to use animals to, to cure illnesses, cure, cure human illnesses? I think that raises a different moral question from what you're going to eat for dinner tonight, because there's no compulsion there. You're just, you're just choosing what your taste buds like. And no, 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 it's more than that. You're, you, you are engaging in an activity that is nutritious and beneficial to you. Well, it's not just, it's not just a matter of, oh, I like the taste. That is our, our natural diet. We are omnivores. Biologically, we are omnivores. Now we can force ourselves not to be for moral reasons as you have, 
But there's no denying that we are not born uh, herbivores. We do. We are not herbivores. Well, well, wait a minute. There, there's there's a little bit. Dis- these things are a little more complex. I mean, for example, we have short intestines, or I'm sorry, we have a long intestines. Generally, animals that are eating meat have very short intestines. They have very different stomach acid profiles from the ones that we do. They don't have. We don't have teeth which are capable of ripping flesh from a bone. I mean, a lot of our physiology is far more consistent with being, you know, with animals that are herbivores than animals that are carnivores. We are able to get nutrition from different sources. We can get, we can get, we can eat plant, pro- we can get nutrition from plants. We can get nutrition from, from animal products. But certainly, I, I mean, if you just look objectively Except at Except our- I was in I was in a cave 20, 35,000 years old and you saw the depictions in the cave of the hunt. Yeah, but uh, you know there's also there's all sorts of stuff that's in the depictions of the cave, you know. There's I mean and there's all uh, the, the fact that people have been doing it for a long time and the fact the fact that people found it, you know, easier to do than grow crops, etc. depending on where they lived, it's I mean there are all sorts of factors that that played into that. Doesn't mean that um, you know, I mean, I, I, to say that that's natural, um, natural is a funny word. I mean, the, 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 the issue for me, the only issue is, um, what is my choice right now? I mean, and, and, and I would also say this to you, um, the idea that veganism is dangerous for children is not borne out. I mean, you know, I've got all the, the 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 stuff here. You can, I mean, I can I can tell you. You name the organization with the American Heart or, or you know American Cancer Organization, the National Institutes of Health, or whatever. Um, nobody maintains that you need to eat animal products for optimal health. There are certain certain nutrients you need. For example, B twelve. Our bodies make B twelve. You know, and we have endogenous B twelve, but we don't have predictably enough B twelve, and so we have to supplement it. But whether you supplement it from a plant source or, you know, like such as from, from water lentils or, or you get it, you know, it, it's a bacteria, either you know, the, it's a bacteria that's made in the gut of a cow who is ruminating or in the gut of an animal who's ruminating plants. So you either get the bacteria there or you get the bacteria from a different source, but we're all getting it, um, ex, you know, from an exogenous source. So the fact that you get yours from meat doesn't make it any more natural than I getting, you know, than my getting it from algae or from mushrooms or from something else. Um, and so, so it, you know, I think we have to be careful about this. I think we also have to be careful because I know morality matters to you big time. And what troubles me is, is that um, people who do care a lot about morality, um, seem to overlook the fact that in this country alone, we consume enough, well, we feed plants to animals. If we fed those, and then we kill the animals and we eat the animals. If we took those plants and fed them directly to human beings, we would be able to feed 750 million people. If we had a, if we were eating plants, if we were all getting our nutrition from plants, we would reduce the amount of land under cultivation by the size of the continent of Africa. So if actually, if we were all vegans, we'd actually have, we'd have, we'd actually have um, fewer acres under cultivation because I mean, think about it, Wesley, the, 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 the ratios are very high. It takes between 
you know, between six and 14 pounds of plant protein to produce one pound of beef, depending on the, where the, how the animals, where the animals being raised. So, so we're, 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 we're taking all of these plants, all of this water, because it takes like, you know, thousands of gallons to produce a pound of flesh, whereas it only produce, you know, it takes a couple hundred gallons to produce a pound of potatoes, et cetera. And so we're taking all of these resources that we could be using to feed everybody. If, if we were all vegans, there would be no need for any starvation whatsoever. Um, now, you could say, well, there are going to be political things that would stop distribution. Yes, I agree. <laughs> but there's a political. But, but as far as the supply is concerned, we could feed the world. And, and so, you know, we would not have starving people. That matters to me morally. And I know it matters to you, too, um, you know, because I know you think very, very long and hard about moral issues. And so I'm saying, look, you know, it, it just seems to me this is an easy proposition. It cuts down on violence. It doesn't involve us. I mean, have you ever been in a slaughterhouse, Wesley? They're horrible places. I mean, I've been. I'm sure. There, I mean, I've been at least 30 of them in my life. <laughs> I'm never going to go. Well, they, they don't allow me in anymore. But but in the old <laughs> days, in the old days when they did used to allow me, I mean, I, I've been the chicken ones, pig ones, cow ones. I, it did dreadful. And, um, you know, you cut down on that violence. Um the reality is right now, I don't know if you're, if you're out in California. Um, no, I'm, I live in Virginia now. Okay, you're in Virginia. Well, you're on the East Coast. You're enjoying this like wonderful, it's all over the place right now. I mean, I don't know about you. I took my dogs out this morning. I came back and I, I was literally, as someone poured water, literally a bucket of water. I mean, it's dreadful. The amount of greenhouse gases being produced by animal agriculture is greater than the amount of greenhouse gas being produced for by uh, for, for for by fossil fuels for all transportation, so I mean you know it just seems to me this is a no brainer. It seems to me that we need for more. But you're, but you're over you're oversimplifying. Think about how many uh, the animal products are food animals. The the incredible uh, diversity of benefit we receive beyond the the uh, the nutrition that comes from consuming them. And let me read you a quote. This is from an animal rights activist uh, that I quoted in my book, A Rat as a Pig as a Dog as a Boy. And he, he said this, quote, today the use of non-human animal products is so diverse and widespread that it is impossible to live in modern society and not support the non-human animal industry directly. For example, the blood of a slaughtered cow is used to manufacture plywood adhesives, fertilizer, fire extinguisher foam, and dyes. Her fat helps make plastic, tires, crayons, cosmetics, lubricants, soaps, detergents, cough syrup, contraceptive jellies and creams, ink, shaving cream, fabric softeners, synthetic rubber, jet engine lubricants, textiles, corrosion inhibitors, and metal machining lubricants. Her collagen is found in pie crusts, yogurts, matches, banknotes, paper, and cardboard glue. Her intestines are used in strings for musical instruments and rackets. Her bones and charcoal ash for refining sugar and ceramics and cleaning and polishing compounds. Medical and scientific uses abound, and there is much, much more. So if, if we decided we're going to destroy all and, and let's be clear, you don't think that there should be any animal husbandry and human ownership of animals. If we did that, it wouldn't just be, oh, we'd all have to eat carrots and, and, and uh, faba beans and so forth. The entire aspect of modern society would be turned over on its head. No, that's, that's look, I, who, is, who, who are you quoting there? 
You know, I I I didn't pull that out, but it's in my book. <laughs> okay, uh, I've got your book over here. So, um, <laughs> but um, uh, many of these byproducts are 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 used because we're killing so many billions of animals that we've got these things these 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 things around very. They're very cheap. But doesn't that show a respect for the animal when you're using every inch of it, including, uh, uh, you know, my, my dog, sometimes I give him an, a an ear as a treat. Um, every aspect of the animal is being used uh, in, in a productive way. And I think that shows more respect for the animal than, than you give credit for. But that's not respect. That's economic efficiency. You'd be, you'd be economically idiotic if you, if you throw this stuff away. If it's got an economic value, you use it. I mean, I and that means, and, and if that, that means there's a tremendous human value in the use of that because well, the economy is, is benefited and human thriving is benefited. Well, but look, even from the time, what, what year was that, was that book written? Uh, book was written about uh, oh 2012 something like that okay it's changed even from them uh, then in terms of what byproducts are found in i mean it's now the case that most glycerin in in pharmaceuticals is now vegetable glycerin it's not beef uh, you know it's not it's not sourced in beef uh anymore some is some still is but not much um and many of the products that you recite or whoever that person was that you were quoting, many of those products don't rely on animal byproducts to the extent that, that they once that they did. That's, that's, that's shifting in, in, in a, a great deal. Um, but again, th that stuff is cheaply available. So we use it. If we were not killing animals, we would have to come up with, with, other substitutes, but I have no doubt that we would. And I mean, I, I do acknowledge we're, we're, you know, at least some of us are, are pretty good in, in, at coming up with solutions to problems and we will come up with solutions to problems. We, we, right now we don't have to, there's no economic incentive. Indeed, there's an economic incentive to you can, to, 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 to use um, the animal products because there are all these slaughtered animals around. So, you know, we use them for everything. You know, we, we, we use them for absolutely everything. I have to say, I do find it a little odd that you know, when I go to my my, I don't I don't go to pet the pet food store often because I I buy vegan food for my dogs and it, we we get it uh, delivered to the house. But sometimes if I run out and I have to go get some some pet food because uh, I have five rescued dogs, all of whom are vegans like we are, and um, and <laughs> not and, on their choice, your choice. Well, my my choice, right? But they they're domesticated animals; they don't make choices, and that's <laughs> that's, that's a problem with domestication. Um, and um, and so. Um, I always find it odd, you know, that you, you're, you're in a store with a group of people who love animals and they're buying things like pig ears and things like that to give to their dogs. It's something, there's something for really, I find it somewhat bizarre and surreal when I'm in that situation. I, I mean, I understand the explanation for it. The dogs are our property. We favor them. We value them because they're particular, but it really is just so arbitrary. I mean, in terms we also love them. Well, I understand that, but I mean, yeah. have you ever interacted? I mean, you you, you just haven't ever interacted with a pig. Pigs are remarkably intelligent, affectionate. I'm aware of that. Probably I'm smarter that. than probably smarter than dogs, and and um, at least you know as as a group. I mean, I hate to, hate to stereotype, but um, <laughs> but but uh, uh, they're pretty smart animals. 
And, and, uh, you know, if you, if you bother, I mean, you know, one of the things I, I experiences I had many years ago, many decades ago was interacting with chickens. I didn't really, you know, I thought, well, you know, chickens, you know, I mean, I, I sort of bought into the idea that everybody else had that they're really, um, not very intelligent animals and they're, they are intelligent animals and they were, they have personalities and they interact with you and you can get to be, you can get to have relationships with them. It's just more difficult because they're not mammals, they're birds. And so we relate to them in a different way because dogs are mammals. We relate to them as other men. And, and so, you know, but, but I want to get, I want to get back to this idea that there, there may be situations where we really are compelled to, to decide, you know, are we going, you're sitting on the lifeboat and you got to throw out, you know, somebody, do you throw out the dog or do you throw out the human? I get that. You know, I understand that. And I understand that that raises questions and you have to come up with an analysis. And I have come up with an analysis on that, but the vast majority of our animal use does not occur in that situation. The vast majority of it occurs in terms of what we like to eat. And you can say, well, you know, but we're getting nutrition from it. Yeah, you're getting nutrition from it. But if you could choose to eat a product that was every bit as healthy for you, and indeed, at least again, according to mainstream science, is less harmful for you, I mean, I have to tell you that um, I did not become a vegan for health reasons. I did not. As a matter of fact, when I became a vegan, I, I knew very little about these things. And I, I thought I was condemning, I mean, you know, my doctors at the time told me I was going to have all sorts of problems. And now as I'm getting, you know, close to 70, I have to tell you, I mean, I have the energy, uh, I mean, I have an enormous amount of energy. I don't have the health problems that uh, many of my peers have. Uh, who, who who eat a lot of animal products um, and 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 I you know the the vegans I associate with you can be an unhealthy vegan you can eat a lot of fried stuff and a lot of candy and stuff like that that's that doesn't have animal ingredients but it's not good for you but but the people I know who I regard as healthy vegans they all have enormous amounts of energy they all have you know they, they don't have things like high blood pressure and high cholesterol and high triglycerides and they don't have heart problems and things of that nature so it's like well I'm thinking you know we don't need it for health. That's clear. We don't need it for health. It's animal agriculture is destroying the environment. And as, as our generation gets old, which we are now doing, um, we're going to bankrupt the healthcare system because the, we're, you and I are in the baby boomer generation and there's a zillion, trillion, quadrillion of us. And as we get older, and as we get sicker, we're going to bankrupt the healthcare system. So, I mean, it just seems to me that it's not necessary for health reasons. It's, it's, a, it's an ecological disaster. And I think, contrary to you, where, you know, you say it's an, it's an a manifestation, animal use is a manifestation of human exceptionalism. To me, human exceptionalism is choosing to do no harm when you don't have to do harm. That, that to me is what makes us exceptional <laughs> is that is that is that we can choose to behave morally even if we don't want to even if I really want to have that cheese pizza and I say damn it I'm not going to do that because that required that that cow be impregnated and have her baby taken from her and I have to tell you one of the worst things I've ever seen and I've seen a lot of bad stuff in my life one of the worst things I've ever seen Wesley is when they take calves away from the mothers, it's dreadful. The mothers, it, the suffering is palpable. It's undeniable. And if you ask me, do you want that piece of cheese pizza? And I used to love cheese pizza, man. Like you cannot believe, I'm a New Yorker. I used to love raised cheese pizza. I used to die for it. And the reality is um, I would never eat a piece of that again because I know 
what's involved in it. Even if I wanted to, there's nothing I want to eat that much where I would um, participate in that level of violence. And I don't think that diminishes me as a person. I don't think that uh, I, I wouldn't, I don't think it diminishes me because I, I would eat a cheese pizza, although it's not my favorite. See, I think people have to, it's part of being human to choose the kind of diet we have. I respect you for being vegan, but I don't disrespect uh, people who make a different uh, choice. And let's talk about the issue of speciesism. Uh, this is an issue that I find morally offensive because, and, and you're very adept at this, you will throw in evils that are done to humans and then you will equate that as something that is done to an animal as if they're the same. And they're not. When you treat a human being, let's say as a slave, that's evil because you're treating inherent intrinsic equals as if they were not equal. But when you engage in animal husbandry, you are not treating equals unequally, you are treating unequals as the as unequally. And of course, as, as I said from the beginning in human exceptionalism, you can't just do what you want with animals. I think Descartes was, was an idiot when he, he thought they were just like inanimate beings. But the reason we do have animal welfare laws, the reason we do have animal abuse laws is because we know animals can suffer. And the animal welfare approach, which you disdain, says that you know, part of it is what is the human benefit? And let's not get into the argument again about food. Right. And, and what is the suffering that is caused uh, in, in that instrumental use of the animal? Um, let's take whaling as an example. Whaling causes, you know, suffering to, to whales for sure. But, you know, in the 16th and 17th centuries, whaling made it so that human society can grow and thrive and industrialize. Our cities were lighted by the whale oil and so forth. But then later, as we found kerosene and, and uh, other approaches to lighting our cities and lubricating our machines, whaling became unnecessary. So under an animal welfare approach, I would have supported whaling in the 16th century, 17th century, because of the tremendous human good that came from it. Today, I oppose whaling because it's absolutely unnecessary and, and uh, causes too much suffering. So that is, I think the animal welfare approach is nuanced where the animal rights approach or the sentient, uh, you know, if it's sentient, it has a right not to be property approach, is a blunt instrument that I think would cause tremendous uh, detriment to human society and human thriving. Um, all right. You've just like articulated about five or six big ideas. So let me, let me, let me sort of look at them. Um, first of all, part, a large part of my work has focused on the idea that animal welfare doesn't work and it can't work because animals are chattel property. So when you say, well, you know, I believe in animal welfare that we should inflict unnecessary suffering on animals. The problem is because animal animals are property, um, we basically will purchase protection for their interests only to the extent that it's economically feasible, which means the animal welfare standards are always going to be pretty low. I mean, even, even when you're talking about these niche products where play, you know, places like Whole Foods or whatever will sell more humanely, supposedly more humanely raised meat, if you pay more money, you can purchase a greater level of protection. Those animals are still, as some of the exposés have shown, are still pretty badly treated. But the bottom line is, is that animal welfare doesn't work. Animal welfare is useless and it's, it's meaningless in the sense that we can think of animal welfare as a set of rules that any rational property owner would use in the absence of those rules. So in other words, um, 
we we require that animals supposedly require that animals be stunned before they're shackled, hoisted, and cut. Why do we have that rule? We have that rule because if an animal is hanging upside down by the back leg of the animal, the pelvis will break, the animal will move around, the animal will suffer carcass damage, the animal will injure workers. Having been in slaughterhouses and seen the way these things work, um, if you have an unstunned animal, the animal moves around a lot. It can it can it can really be very dangerous, and it can cost a lot of money. So economically, it makes sense to stun them. But the the rule about quote, humane slaughter is an economic rule. It's not a moral rule. It's an economic rule. So my view is, is that animal welfare is, is, is an economic set of uh, principles. It's not, not moral. It has nothing to do with morality. I, I disagree. I think you have a very, uh, <laughs> well, tell me, poor, tell poor me. View, like, uh, um, I think you have a very poor view of humans. I mean, the re- there's a tremendous, the, the, you even mentioned at the beginning of this interview, and I can't believe we've gone this long and we're, st- I've still got tons of questions. Good. I'm a vegan. Uh, I have endless yeah. energy. We can talk for hours. Go ahead. <laughs> Uh, by the way, I saved a, a um, centipede just before this interview, too, you like go. you saved a spider. So there you go. There you go. Um, you know, the whole idea of animal welfare came out of human empathy, came out of human desire not to cause pain. Right. It isn't cynical. No, it's no, no, not no. cynical. It, it, it came out of a moral impulse. But there's something called economics that presents the reality of you've got chattel property. It costs money. You know, it, it costs money to protect animal interests. So if the if if the you go to the farmer, you know, the farmer buys the pig, pays a dollar for the pig, and spends twenty five cents taking care of the pig. That means that the, the farmer's got to get a dollar twenty five for the pig plus whatever the the use of the money is in that time. All right. So you say to the farmer, I want you to give the pig more space. Farmer says, farmer's a capitalist. Farmer farmer says, look. If you can, you can, you know, I'll, I'll give the pig more space, but that's going to increase my costs of raising the pig. So, so if you, know, if if I can sell the same amount of meat um, at at the higher cost, I'll do that. I'm indifferent as long as I can make the profit, I'll do it. But if if I can't, I won't. So, so the bottom line is, is that the idea of animal welfare is a moral idea. You can say came out of empathy. Fine, I agree with you. The problem is, is the reality of of, of animal welfare in a world in which animals are channel property, that they have no intrinsic or inherent value and have only extrinsic or economic value, it simply doesn't work. And I mean, I wrote, I wrote, a, well, whole, get, I wrote a whole get book back about this. To, get back to my whale analogy. Let me go back. So, so that's the animal welfare thing. Then you said speciesism. All speciesism is, is the doctrine that just as we, we, you know, we can't justify using race or sex or sexual orientation or other characteristics that are irrelevant for determining who's a member of the moral community. Um, we can't, what humans are members of moral community, we can't a- attach a moral value per se to species because you can, you know, you can have a situation where you've got an animal, whatever characteristics you value. Some human beings will have that characteristic less than to a lesser degree than some animals will. So, you know, it becomes very arbitrary to say that, well, a human who is severely disabled and has no reasoning ability has greater moral value than a chimpanzee who's normal and is perfectly, you know, has a, it, it, I mean, you know. I, mean, I, I, call, I call that argument the uh, philosopher and the dupe. The, uh, philo- the, philosopher, the philosopher says, well, not every human has, let's say, moral reasoning. Right. Which, which no animals really have. In the sense we do. Well, um, well, we. I don't want to get into the argument. Do monkeys worry about theft? But um, that that the, it is in human the nature of being human 
to be rational or to have the the more uh, we've talked about uh, you said before every one of us has a metaphysics even if we claim to be atheists that is in the nature of humans these are moral values not biological in the sense that you know the fact that we're bipedal has no moral consequence whatsoever um every human being has that potential now some cannot yet exercise that potential Some because, will let's say, because of immaturity. Some have lost it because of injury, and, and some may never because of, of a disability of some sort. But they're still human, and universal human rights depends on the objective sense that what matters morally is being human, because otherwise it becomes an issue of power an issue of who gets to decide what attributes count and what attributes don't. If you're going to have universal human rights, which you say you believe in, then being human is, is the only criteria that is necessary to obtain those rights and to have that protection. Well, I, I, w- I would go further and say the only thing that is required for full membership of the moral community is be conscious. And that doesn't... And, and I disagree with yeah, that. But... but what what does that commit? What, you know what that commits us to is we stop a lot of the things that we're doing that are violent and that you know you said talk about whaling and you say well whaling you know served the purpose now it doesn't serve a purpose well you know what uh, I, I don't let's assume that I say well okay um, eating animals once served the purpose it doesn't serve a purpose now Wesley it's destroying the planet animal agriculture is destroying the environment. And, and, and it, it's threatening our health and it's not necessary. We don't need to kill. We don't need to eat animals any more than people need to kill whales. There are people who will say, well, wait a minute, Wesley, you know, you don't think we need to kill whales, but whaling is an important part of who I am. It's an important part of my tradition. It's important part, blah, 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 blah. And they'll say that whaling, I mean, I've, I've, I've had people make these arguments to me in Canada and they've said, you know, well, you don't understand, you know, killing the seals is an important part of my culture. You just don't understand. So you can say, well, yeah, but you don't need to do it. And think, well, you know, I, yes, I do. To reaffirm my culture, to reaffirm who I am, I need to do it. This is the problem with the, the whole, the whole animals as food thing. I mean, in many ways, as I say, you don't need to even get into an animal rights discussion that that um, all you need to do is ask yourself, do I need to do, do we need to do this? And all I've heard you say is that- But, but you, you often, you do get into animal rights discussions. For example, you said that you think all animals should be considered non-human persons. Well, yeah, and I there's, think all sentient beings should be considered- all right, person. and and there there's a lawsuit currently pending before the Court of Appeals in New York yes, involving ma'am. an elephant, and where uh, the Non-Human Rights Project is trying to have the elephant declared a non-human perpen- person to receive a writ of habeas corpus. Um, that is, uh, first off, if everything had you know all animals had quote rights because that's what that's about rights then the whole concept of rights uh, is degraded in my view because if if elephants have rights and squirrels have rights and and amoebas have maybe not amoebas but uh maybe your spider uh in in the that you saved its life uh earlier has rights then the very concept of rights becomes degraded in the same way currency does in a wild inflation because if if ev- if almost everything has rights then then basically nothing has rights but beyond that think about and I want the listeners to consider what would happen if animal standing, you know what the animal standing is, uh, ever became the law. That is that animals could sue their owners, which is the idea here uh, behind. Oh, it's the, not. 
Are you kidding? I'm not that's kidding, what, Wesley. I that's mean, what animal standing is about. No, it, it's but you know you're. I mean, you you talk about the non-human animal rights project. I mean, I, I look. I don't. I mean, do I think that that's a good a, a good way of going about presenting the issue? And the answer is no. I, I mean, I have I have issues with that in large part because I think that what Wise is doing there, what he's been trying to do for many years, is sort of say, well, we need to just draw the line in a different place. But animals have to have you know these various human like characteristics in order to matter. And my judgment is they don't need to have the human like characteristics to matter as long as they're sentient. But that doesn't. All that means is we stop using them exclusively as means to ends. We stop bringing them into existence. It's not a question of giving them the right to vote or allowing them to go to university or whatever. We're not talking about that. We're saying, look, if if animals are non-human persons, what that means is they have a morally significant interest in continuing to live. We shouldn't kill them, even if we do so, quote, humanely. They have a morally significant interest in their lives, and that we shouldn't do that, particularly when we don't need to. If we need to, we can talk about whether or not it's justifiable or excusable or whatever. But but what it means is we shouldn't do it when, it, when there's no compulsion. This is what I, I want to get people back to, and that is the fundamental question here is, why do we think it's okay when we don't need to do it? You are no different, Wesley, in 2021 from the whaling person. You don't need to eat animal products. As a matter of fact, I guarantee you, you go on a vegan diet, you're going to feel six months, you're going to call me up and you're going to say, you crazy guy, you know, I thought you were wrong, but I feel great. Um, well, you, you might be interested to know, I once did that. Yeah. And uh, this was back when I was much younger. And after about six months, I began to crave eggs. And I began to crave, I began to literally dream about a chicken in a rich sauce. And I was so deprived of needed nutrients. I ate six hard boiled eggs at a time. I was, my body was screaming at me that I needed to have some meat products. And I had told myself that if that ever happened, I'd go back to eating meat. And that's exactly what I did. Well, I don't, I, I, I don't know what you were eating. I don't know what your diet was, but I have to tell you, um, Vegan nutrition, I, I, again, I don't know, you know, because, you know, you, you read these things. Wait, let's, let's get to the animal uh, research issue, which yeah. you said was more nuanced. Right. If, we, if we were not able to experiment on animals, which, by the way, is a human rights requirement out of the Nuremberg Code, it's part of the uh, common rule in terms of human experimentation, that before you do human experiments on humans, you have to try it in animals. And that has saved a lot of human lives, even though it has taken animal lives. Isn't that an appropriate approach that and you do acknowledge that human lives have greater value than animal lives, correct? I don't even know what that means. Have greater value. Uh -huh. No, 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 no. D let me ask you this. Uh, you do acknowledge. No, you answer, answer the question. You, you said you've thought about the dog all, and the lifeboat. And I think that all lives have moral value and that none should and some have more moral value than others but, correct but but once you start getting into some have more moral value than others then you're stuck with sort of the elitism and the and, and the you know then you have to say well the lives of talented human beings you know if, no you if, don't well well then that's t well so you're telling <laughs> you wait, wait you're I'm telling you that I'm telling you that that you have greater value than a squirrel um, are you telling me that, um, are you, do you deny that you have greater value than I a squirrel? I don't even know what that means. I, I have abilities. I have Your life has more importance. You're a human being to me, to, to the world. It should be well, that your I'll, life should be more important than a squirrel. I, again, I don't, I mean, you know, it, it, it's, that is no different from saying 
the life of Albert, of Albert Einstein is, is, is greater. The, the moral value of Albert Einstein is greater than, um, you know, the, the life of the, of the janitor who cleaned his office at Princeton. No, it isn't because, Why? because, because those are the same in kind and, and you and the squirrel are different in kind. Well, but, but Albert Einstein mattered so, more. Albert Einstein mattered more to the world than the janitor did. So, so, but his life didn't have any greater intrinsic value. He was equal to every other human being. His, he may have had, in terms of his career, a greater impact on human, on human okay. society, but his intrinsic value was no different than the janitor or the, or the child with Down syndrome. Well, I, your, your intrinsic value is far superior to that of the squirrel. And if you can't see it, I'll tell you. Well, I look. I appreciate it. I mean, I appreciate your views of my, my moral worth, but but my view is is that no sentient being has any. I mean, looked at from an objective point of view, no 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 sentient being has any greater moral value than any other sentient being. They all value right. their lives. I mean, I, I'm different from the squirrel. Um, you know, I I'm different from from Albert Einstein. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it's it. We we all every sentient being values his or her life, however they value it. And so, you know, just as I, I mean, I'm not going to say, well, you know, uh, um, uh, why is the squirrel, why is the squirrel worth, you know, worth less? Well, because the squirrel's stuck in an eternal present or because the squirrel doesn't have, doesn't have some characteristic that I have. And the answer is, well, but, you know, there are same human beings that are stuck in an eternal present. People who have end stage dementia, who are stuck in an eternal present. Do their lives matter more or less rather than, than a normally functioning human? And I no, say, no, it doesn't, because I if you agree. did that, if, if you did that, you would destroy human equality. But we do not destroy human equality when we say that Gary Francione's value is inestimably higher than that of a squirrel. And we that doesn't mean you can take a squirrel and pull its legs off, but it does mean that the value and the protection we give to Gary Francione is far greater and more important than that we would give to a squirrel. But all I'm saying is that we shouldn't ex we shouldn't use the squirrel for to shoot at or you know for target practice or to kill. No, you're saying much more than that. You're saying you're not just saying that. You're saying that that there's no distinction morally between any animal that is sentient no, 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 I'm and not you. Saying, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that 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 I'm saying that let's take a situation where we've got a very talented human being and a not talented. Let, let's say you've got somebody who's a mathematical genius and somebody who can't add two and two. Are they equal? The question is, depends what you yes. answer. Well, wait a minute. Are they, if the question is the university needs to hire a math person, they're not equal because the person. But that has nothing to do with intrinsic value. That has to do with getting a job. Well, I mean, the, the Declaration of Independence, I think, is what counts. I mean, speaks really well here. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. That is the, first off, that's the foundation of- Written by slaves. Written by people who own slaves. I understand. Slaves. And, and that, that, uh, and that uh, declaration is why the reason, that I think a primary reason that slavery eventually was obliterated, because it set in motion a mindset- that makes things like the evils like slavery and Jim Crow incompatible with Western civilization. But it did not say that all sentient beings are equal, nor should it, because it's not true. Wesley, all I'm trying to do is set in motion a different mindset, the mindset that says basically, let's stop 
violence. Let's stop exploiting vulnerable beings just because we can, because we've got power over them. Let's stop eating them. Let's stop using them. Let's stop exploiting them. We will be healthier. The planet will be healthier and we will be a less violent people because it's inconceivable to me. I mean, think about it. Most of the time when we're talking about when we, when we engage in violence towards other humans, what we do is we animalize them. We say, you know, we, we, you know, look at, look at the, look at the, 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 the propaganda during the second world war where the Nazis were trying to justify the extermination of the Jews. They had constant imagery of the Jews as rats. Um, you know, constant, I mean, that we, what we do is we animalize the other. And once we animalize the other, then we can justify doing what we want to with that, with that group of humans. And what I'm saying is let's get rid of the template. Let's move, let's move towards, uh, uh, embracing a nonviolent life where, where you're not deciding what to eat tonight. And you say, well, you know, I could, I could eat and be healthy if I had beans and this and that, you know, if I had a, if I had a, you know, I get all the protein I needed, I get everything I needed uh, and I wouldn't have to kill anything or I can choose to kill something. What I'm saying is let's, let's room, let's stop that. And I'm not saying we should do that by law. I'm saying that should be a matter of the evolution, the revolution of the heart and the evolution towards the embrace of nonviolence. Why is that a bad thing? And, well, and, I, if people want to voluntarily be vegan, I'm all for it. Well, but, I'm not but, saying they should, that, that law should require that they be vegan. You have said you have said that at some point law should treat animals uh, at, in in the sense that they should not be property. You have said that. You what have I've written said, that. No, what I've said is that we can't do that with law right now because it wouldn't. Right now, right, right now. now. What I'm saying is, is if we had a paradigm shift where most of us moved in the direction of saying, you know what, we ought not to be engaging in violence, that there really is no difference between the dogs we love and the chickens that we eat, that this is irrational and we're rational and we want to be rational and we want to be nonviolent. We ought to move in that direction. If it turned out that the paradigm shifted, then you would have to use the law to deal with those people, the minority that, that wanted to continue to harm in the same way that you have to do that for every rights movement. In other words, it, it, right now when you're in the minority, you, you it's all for a discussion. If you ever became in the majority, that's when the discussion would end and law would impose. Well, that's, yeah. that's what you're saying. But I don't, I don't see any problem with that. I see. Uh, no, exactly. No, 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 no. Because, because that's what, what laws, Wesley reflect moral sentiment. Okay. The reason why you have law, the reason why laws, laws only work to, in, to enforce morality when the morality they're trying to enforce is largely accepted by the population. If you start, if if you start in trying to impose laws to affect moral decisions in situations where nobody agrees with the moral decision, you have chaos, you have revolution. And so I'm not suggesting that. What I'm saying is, is that if you had a situation where 85 or 90 percent of us said, you know what, this is the, you know, we do, we, we are concerned about the planet. We're concerned about our moral health, our spiritual health. We don't want to engage in violence. We don't want to do this. We want to use our big brains to sort of solve problems without exploiting vulnerable beings. We want to move in that direction. If that, if that turned out to be the case, if we did that, I mean, it, that's a pipe dream because it ain't going to happen. But if it did happen, then if you had some people who simply wanted to continue to to, to in harm animals gratuitously, then you'd have to stop that. But that's not the situation we're at. I'm not saying that we should, you know, I'm, yeah, I mean, I don't think we should be treating animals as property, but I've never said, 
I've never said that we should, we should use the law to stop people from treating animals as property. You can't. Not in a world where 99% of people think it's just fine to do. You need to change people's moral thinking. And, and I then, you could, then you can use the law to sure, treat animals. Sure, yeah, because exactly. that's what law does. Just, all, right, law just, does. all right, so we're real clear. You know, you brought up the Nazis, and this is something you and I both have a problem with PETA. Right. Um, and, but this is, you remember their Holocaust on your plate campaign. I did. I don't like to use uh, Holocaust analogies. Exactly. I don't either, but you did bring one up just a few minutes ago. But no, no, here, but, here, but that was a factual thing. That was a factual thing about how the Nazis used animal imagery. Right. And, and I was just saying that if you what? look at, 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 if you look at most instances in human, in human history, where we have vilified some group of human beings, what we do is we vilify them by analogizing them to human, to uh, animals. And then. Right. And, 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 and you're actually taking humans and you're, you're reducing them in status to that of an animal so that you can, you can abuse them. But here's what PETA said. And, and I just find this utterly disgusting. Like the Jews murdered in the concentration camps, animals are terrorized when they are housed in huge filthy warehouses and rounded up for shipment to slaughter. The leather sofa and handbag are the moral equivalents of the lampshades made from the skins of people killed in the death camps. Gary, I've been to Auschwitz. I've stood in the, in the, uh, in the, in the gas chamber. I've seen the crematoria. And, you know, any statement that equates the worst evil ever done to humans with animal husbandry, it seems to me, uh, causes a person to lose the ability to preach morality to anyone. You certainly can't agree with what, what they said about the equivalent of using a leather purse to, to a lamp, lamp, sh lamp um, shade made from human skin, can you? Well, I don't, I don't rank evils in the same sense that I wouldn't ask you Wesley, do you think it's worse that Hitler killed Jews than he killed Romanies? Or do you think that, you know, that what Hitler did was worse than what Mao did or what, you know, whatever? I mean, why? I mean, or do, do you think that what the Nazis did is worse? Yeah, than well, what I do think that there, if you think, even if you think that, that having a leather handbag is wrong, it does not equate to a lampshade made from human skin. Otherwise, we've lost all moral sensibilities altogether. Well, we, we, we don't, I mean... But that's like saying, Wesley, um, you know, the Nazis, if I were to say that, um, uh, uh, Wesley, you, you just said that, um, that the that Holocaust was the greatest evil. That's what you just said. You just said that. I, I believe I just heard you say that that was the greatest. One of the greatest evils ever perpetrated in human history. Okay. Yeah. Well, do you think that that's, is it worse than what men have done to women through misogyny and patriarchy through the centuries in terms of what we've done to women, how we've harmed them in serious ways? Do you think that the Holocaust is worse than that or not as worse, not as bad as that? You, you know that. I, say, what an idiotic question. <laughs> yeah. And, and you're also dealing with people. You're, you, you cannot equate what is done to people do to each other to what might be done to an animal, whether it's right or wrong. But that's just so when you cross that. It's not arbitrary. It's sure. very logical and it is necessary for universal human rights. Again, this gets back. What you seem to be saying is that. And I think, honestly, Gary, you have a, a there's a moral deficiency when you cross that line of, of what PETA did in a very crass way, saying that the leather handbag is like a lampshade made from human skin, or what you do when you say that if, if you have a, you own cattle, it's like slavery. That is diminishing the evil of slavery. That is diminishing the evil no, of no, the Holocaust. But I've never said that. I've never said what I've said is, is that the, the regulation of animal use is problematic 
in the, for the same reason that the regulation of slavery was problematic because you're trying to regulate the use of sentient beings where they have interests, which is different from other forms but of property. You're, you're basic- I've, never said, I've never said it's slavery. I've never said it's analogous to slavery. I've said it's similar to the way jurisprudentially and economically it functions. But I mean, but but you see, Wesley, it, it gets back to this idea when you say, well, anything you say that sort of blurs the line between humans and non-humans threatens humans. And I look at it from a I look at it in a completely different way. And I say, if we don't, if we don't start recognizing our moral obligations to non-humans, and if we don't start seeing that our exploitation of non-humans has has come at a tremendous moral cost to us, we're going to exit this planet and not in the not too distant future because one of the you know look right now you know you and I are talking to each other on a computer um and 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 you know we've done things in the same in the same physical space before but people aren't doing that anymore why because we've got a pandemic and why do we have a pandemic because we eat animals i mean almost all no, pandemics no, wait a second don't well, go there I, necessarily I, I, okay fine <laughs> I, I do you deny do you deny that most pandemics are zoonotic in origin. They come from, they jump from humans to an, from uh, animals to humans, generally in the context in which we're using animals. Generally, that's true, yeah. Okay, yeah. All right, so we've got pandemics. Um, the pandemics are, are, an, are, are related directly to our use of animals. We've got to start looking at this behavior really critically because it's a matter of our survival, both as a physical matter and I believe as a spiritual matter. I think, Wesley, that our... I think it is mind-boggling that every year we're killing more animals for food than the number of humans that have ever lived on the planet. I and, am and you don't see that as problematic. I, 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 I don't see that as problematic. And I also see the tremendous benefit, the nutrition, the inexpensive food. People are living better today than they ever have. And we, we could keep going. And, I'm, you know, we're really out of time here. I, I was going to get into your six categories and six principles of abolition. And I never got there because we just uh, kept talking and I've just enjoyed this conversation thoroughly. I would like, before we say goodbye, for you to engage the issue of animal research in terms of medicines and in terms of healthcare. Well, I think there are a couple of issues here. One is the, the, the there's, there's a question, when we say that animals are, it's necessary to use animals for biomedical research, there's a question of, there's a factual question about necessity and there's a moral question. The factual question is: We assume that we would never have the data that you know that we need to use animals for, to, you know, to get data. That's not clear. Um, you know, uh, uh, um, I mean, I've written extensively about this. That there are all sorts of problems to say that we that that animal research is factually necessary to get data. Then there's the question about whether whether even if in some small number of cases, I mean, because if you think about it, a lot of the animals that we're using. For biomedical research are for what I would regard as trivial sorts of things. So you could say, well, you know, but what about the, the you know, what, what if just hypothesize that the use of animals is necessary to get data in a situation for serious human illnesses where you can't get it any other way? Then the question becomes, all right, well, um, why is it that it's all right for us to do that? And you say, well, because um, because we're, we're superior to humans and or to, non, to animals. Rather. And then I say, well, why are we superior? And you say, well, because, you know, presumably, unless you're going to rest this on souls, you've got to be able to point to why it is, what it is about humans that make us exceptional. And, and you know, so what is it that makes us exceptional? 
that we have reason, that we have ability to use abstract concepts, that we have, you know, we're able to reciprocate or whatever, whatever characteristic it is, whatever characteristic it is you think makes us special and the absence of that, that makes animals, quote, defective, end quote, and, and able Not to defective, be, well, able just in to, a different category, able to be used. There are some humans that lack those characteristics as well. Your well, we went we went through. I that. know, I know, Go but ahead. you see what I'm saying yeah. is your your response is to say, well, you know, but they're a member of the class, even if they don't have the characteristics, they're members of the class. I don't see how that's anything but just sort of a stipulation that you know that is really no different from saying, well, you know, white people are better. Why? Because they're white. But why is see, that? That's what's better? so offensive when you. you <laughs> You, but you're saying this the same. You are, no, you're saying you're you're basically doing the reverse of the KKK, but it's the same kind of misanthropy. I'm I'm just saying to you, why is it that you think that animals that humans are better? And your answer is because some humans have characteristics that make us better. The fact that other humans may not have those characteristics, it doesn't matter because they're a member of a group, and their membership in the group is what matters. And, and so, 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 did you do we use animals in medical research or not? I don't. I don't think we can morally justify it. I think you know. All right, that means you're going to at some point have to use humans in that research, by definition, because at sometimes at some point you're going to have to test these things on a living organism. You have to. I test mean, I, I believe in the three R's, which you know, reduce uh, and so forth, which is an animal welfare approach. Uh, to reducing the number of animals used in research, but at some point you have to test something on a living organism. At some point you have to test it on a human. You, at some point you have to right, but you do it. To, I mean, here's an example: there, when the uh, antiretrovirus um, uh, drugs were coming out for to treat AIDS, which was one of the great catastrophes of of, of the '90s. I lived in San Francisco during that, and it was one of the most horrendous things I've ever seen. I lived in Greenwich Village, <laughs> so you saw it too. I did. Uh, and they came out with it. They try, they have to test it on larger animals. And so they did a test with beagles, I believe dogs. And it's a terrible thing to think about. And the dogs died, but the dogs died that humans might not die. So they went back to the drawing board and then they were able to fix the problem. And then they were able to try it on the dogs. The dogs didn't die. Then they were able to try it on the humans and the humans lives were saved. That's a classic example of how animal research saved human lives and helped human thriving. Well, I, there, it's funny you should mention that because I've read um, that that basically in vivo live animal research did basically nothing to help with AIDS. That it was all it was all stuff that was done with humans. It was all stuff that was tested in humans, but it was stuff that was not developed um, and and where animals animal models were not good. I understand what you're saying, and where I think you and I disagree is. Um, you want to say for you being human, just being human um, is being a member of the human species has some moral value that that makes you makes you have you have more you have greater moral value, even if you lack the characteristics that that you associate with the higher value of humans and where. It's an objective standard. That's correct. Well, it's an objective standard, but it's a stipulated standard. I mean, it's basically humans matter more. Why, Wesley? Because humans matter more. And you say, well, but wait a minute. Um, wait a minute. What happens if some humans don't have those characteristics? And your answer is that it doesn't matter because humans just matter more. Just being human matters more. And what I'm saying is that really is um, the, the, 
problematic because I don't see that as really a moral. It's a, it's a stipulation that being a member, that being a member. And it's a stipulation to say sentience is what gives value. That's a stipulation. No, no, I'm making an argument. I'm making an argument about why, why, I mean, my argument about why sentience matters is because when we look at human beings, we say that we regard as, as persons, even those humans who are not moral agents, but are moral patients, patients, but who are severely disabled, who have only consciousness as a characteristic, we still think that they have personhood. We still think they have a morally significant interest in their lives. And what I'm saying is, it, it's entirely arbitrary to say, well, we got to stop. We got to draw the line with humans. Why? It's it's not just that they you you slipped into Reagan esque uh, um, moral patient and more moral. Well, but agent. that's not his distinction. That that's not. No, I, but a lot of our listeners might not be aware of that. And we don't have time to get into it. But it seems to me you're saying, well, I only have an interest in my. I have an interest in your life, Gary. I have an interest in in the lives of the people who are walking down the street. It isn't just, oh, I have an interest in my life. We have an interest in the human community. And the human, in order to have equal, you and I agree completely on universal human equality. The only way to have that is if being the the criteria for that equality is if you're human. Otherwise, it becomes a matter of power. And then the people the people who don't have the attributes that those in power uh, uh, think matter are the ones who get it in the neck. And that's been the cause of every form of oppression, exploitation in the history of the human race. And I just take that one step further and say that yes, you do. I am concerned about all sentient beings. And my view is, is that if you don't take my position, then you're simply just, subs- you know, you're, you're, you're using power. You're using power in a situation where you can't justify it morally, except by the stipulation of saying humans matter more. And I'm saying that you can't, that it becomes difficult without, without taking a nakedly religious perspective and say that we are made in God's image. So therefore it doesn't matter whether we're, doesn't matter what our individual characteristics are. We're made in God's image. So we matter more. Unless you're going to take that sort of position, I don't see how you can defend what you're saying, but I have to ask you one question before we go. Um, It's been several years since you and I saw each other the last time. And um, the conservative movement, it seems to me has changed dramatically in that time. Now I realize you're not, uh, you don't identify I think you identify more as a liberal. I, I don't know. Do you identify as a conservative? It depends on the issue. One of the questions that I wanted to ask you in terms of sentience, you yeah. know, when you and I did a debate at Columbia Law, a, uh, a question arose in the audience and they said, well, if you believe in sentience, there are late-term fetuses that can feel pain, which is sentience. Would you agree that there shouldn't be late-term abortion? And you said, I'm never going to interfere with a woman's right to choose, which to me is a violation of your principles. No, no. Uh, if, if I remember that, um, and what I said was that um, the abortion situation, if, if fetuses are sentient, um, the abortion situation presented a unique moral dilemma in that you had one, you had, let's assume that fetuses are sentient and that they have rights, that they have a right, morally significant right to continue to live. You've got one right holder living inside the body of another right holder. And what I said was, is that that is a conflict situation that is replicated no place else in nature. When, when a woman, when, when we're talking about an abortion situation, that's really very different from, um, you know, the vivisector who's going to use the animal or Wesley who's going to eat the animal. So no, no, it isn't in a, in a sense, because you're, you're talking about a woman ending the life of another sentient being, which is as use as a, a, a form of using something or someone as property as exists. Well, and, and you're doing it sometimes 
not for any reason that the woman would be imperiled, but because the woman doesn't want that child. So you're all right so, with abortions where the woman's in peril? I'm not getting into the abortion issue, but I'm well, talking you about your the abortion. No, issue. no, because I raised the abortion issue because you were asked that question, and it seemed to me that in, it's one of the few times I've seen you actually veer away from your pretty absolutist uh, approach. No, to the what idea I, of said, what, I mean, I mean, look, my view is is that if if you can, if a woman, I believe a woman has a right not to have her body used for pregnancy that she doesn't want. I believe and that. that. And that that would uh, take priority over the fetus's right not to be property and killed. Well, you're, the fetus is not really property. It's not in that situation. If you kill if you kill the fetus, you're treating it as property. Well, no, you're not. Not really. You, you, a woman has got the bo- thing inside of her body. And the question is, she wants it's a, a It's a thing. <laughs> She's got, well, she's got the thing. It is a thing. It is an entity. She's got the entity inside of her body. She wants it out. Now, I've always said that if you can get it out, if you can get the fetus out without killing the fetus, that's perfectly fine. And I would not be opposed. I'm not in favor of legis- I would not in favor of a situation that says that a woman's got a right to a dead fetus. I am saying that a woman's got a right not to have her body used to be the host of to be a host for a fetus that she doesn't want in there. So what you're actually saying is in a late term situation, rather than abort the child, you could have a pre uh, an early delivery of the child and the child could live. That would be the only way that it would be consistent with your philosophy. If there were a way of removing the fetus that was consistent. There is induced, induced labor. Well, the, I, I mean, as long as it's not any more dangerous to the woman than, a, I mean, uh, first of all, how many women have third term abortions? That's another, that's another thing you guys bring up all no, the time. Actually more than you'd think. Ah, you know, uh, look at the uh, Planned Parenthood research group. They actually did a, a report that was pretty stunning about how many late term abortions there were, but we're not going to argue abortion. I just want you to be consistent and say that the the late term, based on the question you got at Columbia Law, that the late term abortion, uh, the fetus, when they can feel pain, is sentient, and therefore that you can't just uh, say, well, it's uh, you know it's up to the woman because you're any more than you would say, it's up to me whether I want to have that cow killed so I can have a steak. Well, it certainly is up to you. Right now, the law, I mean, you, you know. You, in, in terms of ideals. Well, look, I, I don't like, I have to tell you something. I, I know that, you know, the abortion issue is is used to, to put it this way. I've never met anybody, and I know a lot of women who have had abortions. I, know, I don't know any of them who didn't regard it as, as a, a difficult moral issue. Um, and I, so I don't, I don't think that, you know, people look at this in the willy nilly way in which women who have abortions or women generally are characters. I think that's unfair. Um, and what I'm saying is, is I don't think a woman has a right to a dead fetus. Uh, I don't take that position. I've never taken that position. I do think a woman has a right not to have her body used to have, have an, have a, a, an entity in the, in her body that she doesn't want to have. Um, and I've also said that, you know, if men got pregnant, there would be abortions, you know, gas stations would give, would would give abortions. There'd be no doubt about that, Wesley. Uh, if we got pregnant, it would be, there would be, there would be an abortion spot in every uh, station at every, every corner. Um, and so I just don't think that, that, that we should say, I, I don't really think the law has anything to say about that. I don't think the law particularly in a patriarchal society, should adjudicate that decision and say that a woman has to 
have her body used in that way. But I think as I re- I mean, I wrote this a long time ago in a book called Women and Animals. I think it was like 19 in the 1990s sometime. I made the argument that abortion raises a rather a unique moral question because you don't have two separate entities whose interests are clashing. You've got one entity inside the body of another entity and the interests are clashing. And that, that presents a, a, a more complex, a more complex, complex situation. Well, we've spent more time than I usually do. I'd like to have a part two of this discussion. Anytime I want you to get want. Into I love your... talking to you, Wesley. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what's next for Gary Francione? What's next? Um, I'm working on a, um, I'm debating a, uh, uh, an Oxford journal called Frontiers has got me debating um, somebody who disagrees with me. I don't know who it is, um, uh, but we're ab- about to exchange positions and uh, I'm arguing um, in favor of um uh, abolishing exploitation and this my sparring partner is arguing against me um i should be getting that person's contribution shortly i'm doing an essay for ian which is a um uh, a very interesting and um very very uh prominent site now that is that publishes a lot of um the more uh uh interesting I, i've read some of their work yeah. yeah and i just i just got a um commission yesterday to write a piece distinguishing about the distinction between having an interest in not suffering and having an interest in continuing to live and and how we bifurcated that how the animal welfare position bifurcates that and and i'm um i'm uh, writing well when that comes out send it to me so i can critique it <laughs> I, I certainly will you know you know really really i, I mean you know I, I should have columbia university send you uh, I, you will definitely disagree with this um my my uh the moral value of animals book i think you'll really disagree with it but i think you'll like it i think you'll disagree. Oh, do have them send it to me and right? i am gonna i'm gonna, gonna, I'm gonna send it. it to you and I, I i welcome i look you know review it talk to me tell me why i'm wrong because i think that's how we get ideas out you know i mean the pr- the problem wesley is people like us there aren't enough people like us talking to each other what happens is you know people like you people who take your position many of them cannot argue the way you argue and 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 they get angry or they get hostile or they start name calling things like that and i'm the first to acknowledge that people who are are in the on the animal side uh, many of them are bad examples of what you might want to call human exceptionalism in terms of <laughs> in terms of the ability to argue their way out of a paper bag. And so I, I think I think what ends up happening is, you know, there isn't enough discussion. But I think and I think one of the reasons why I never say no in terms of talking with you is because I think that our joining issues gets people to think. Which is I hope really so. what, hell, what what you want, what I want. Right. Um and and you know, anyway. All right. Well, thank well, you very well, much. Gary, thank you very much. And I still think you're more valuable than a squirrel. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Wesley. I appreciate right. it. Thank Thanks. You. Take care. Thanks for listening to Humanize from Discovery Institute's Center on Human Exceptionalism, where human rights meet human responsibilities. Discover all the good work of the Center on Human Exceptionalism by visiting discovery.org human. We can only do this work, speaking on behalf of human life, human thriving, and our exceptional place in this world and our cosmos, with your support. We invite you to make a one-time gift today and to consider starting a monthly gift to support the Center on Human Exceptionalism and this show. Wherever you're listening to Humanize, please take a moment to rate and review the show. You matter. Your actions matter. Be bold, be exceptional, and be back soon.